You may have heard, you may have known uh, that we had the privilege, and I, I appreciate you guys letting us go, although we didn't like ask you, we just went. Um, but we were in Minnesota, we meaning myself, Kyle, Rick, uh, Jonah, last week at a uh, John Piper Desiring God conference, and the emphasis that week was missions. They brought in a bunch of speakers, and the whole conference was focused around missions, and, and I have to tell you, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was great to be challenged, to be convicted, to be encouraged. But one of the things that, that they talked about, and, and as I was singing this song this morning, it, it came flooding back, this idea, this indescribable, uncontainable God who placed the stars in the sky, he knows them by name. He stood there and with the word said, universe. And with the Hubble telescope and the, and the depths of, of the, the galaxies and solar systems that they're finding, all of that he made with a word. If you go back to the slide before this one, I, I, we were singing, he tells every lightning bolt where he should go, seeing the heavenly storehouses with snow. Imagine the sun gives a source to its light. This God who, who we learned about in, in Vacation Bible School too, who, who holds everything together, if he were to get distracted, if he were to quit thinking about us, all of everything that we know would cease to exist. It is because he is proactively working continuously, 24-7, from the time that time began until it ends, he is holding it all together. And this is the God that said, you know what, I have a job for someone to do. Do I have any volunteers? Really? Really you need someone? And really you're willing to consider me? And this is the job, and I, I appreciate what they said, and you're going to hear more because this affected all of our lives at different levels, and, and we're processing because we kind of drank from a fire hose for a weekend, and we didn't want to just come back and puke all over you. But, it, but it's going to come. It's going to come out. This, this idea, this isn't about missions I, I love the phrase they use. This is about a mission. A mission that the glory of God would be pro proclaimed to the entire world where we live and around the globe. And this God has given the privilege and the responsibility to us. This is what we were saved for and saved to. That once we've experienced this, we now have the privilege of now communicating this to someone else. And could there be anything more valuable with our lives? Some of us are called to go, to sell all. And one of the speakers I appreciate, he said, and then the rest of us are called to sell all, to give them the money so they can go. I, there's probably more truth to that than I'd care to admit. And so anyway, the song, it, it kind of came back, and so that's just a little thing. It wasn't what I was preaching on, but we did. We were challenged. We were encouraged. Like I said, you'll, you'll hear more about this. It, it will come out in different ways. Uh, the, the idea of the mission, the mission of spreading the gospel. Um, last week, you had the opportunity to hear from Carlos, and uh, when I got back, I, I listened to his message, and it was somewhat intimidating because I, I didn't see it. I listened to it, but I hear, you know, all these pictures where he's, he's crossing borders, and he has machine guns, and he's doing all these cool things. I'm like, how do I, how do I, how do I match that, all right? It's like, I got... I got nothing. I, I went to Canada once, and uh, it was it was okay. Um, and uh, so so feeling a, a little intimidated, yet 
Yet God, God gave me a peace that, you know what? And Carlos would agree, it's not about us and what we did, it's about him and what he did. And I, I have the greatest things in the world to share because I have his word. And so I, I'm excited. So let's, let's pray again as we, we look into his word this morning. God, I do. I, I just stand in awe of you. And thank you. It isn't about me. I could never measure up. I could never compare. My stories could never be good enough. My experiences could never be deep enough. It's you. It's you who opens the minds. It's you who changes the hearts. It's you who gives purpose and meaning and peace and hope and joy and direction. Thank you that it's you. Thank you that we have your word. You're not, you're not the God at a distance. You didn't create this universe and go hang out in some far corner wander by periodically just to see how this little experiment of yours went. You are here intimately. You are in this room. And because of your greatness, you're in every room and in every place across this world right now. So I thank you. And once again, as we open your word, may, may you come alive. May your word be what it says. May it be a powerful two-edged sword that pierces our hearts and minds and transforms and changes and lays bare who we are and encourages us and challenges us as only you can do. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have noticed, <laughs> and it's really kind of funny, because I, I think back to VBS, and that's why I say some of you, but we had a large orb, a large globe hanging there. Um, it was about the size of a, a Volkswagen bug. And, and it was really kind of funny because when we, when we came, I came home and I was talking to my mother about it. She said, what globe? Really? Really, Mom? Come on. It was like there. It took up. She's like, she never noticed it, which can happen. And so when I say, some of you may notice, I, I'm serious going, we have this, this display, this artwork, these chains, this rope, um, this object on our wall that if you haven't noticed, you do now because I'm talking about it. All right. And, and art is interesting. I've been to Washington, D.C., and I went to the, uh, all the, the art museums and stuff, and I'm, I'm standing there with my wife, and I'm looking at some of these, and like there's one that's it's a big white canvas, and there's a little red dot, and I'm like, really? Come on, all right? That, that to me is not art, all right? That's a guy who had the right name one afternoon, went, there's six million bucks, cool. All right, and, and he moved on, okay? Or, you know, he just like, flattered stuff and rage and anger and got paid for his temper, temper tantrum. I don't know. But so when I, so when I look at this, I understand that sometimes it, it's hard to appreciate what, what is that? Why is that there? And, and I want, I want to, to open your mind to this enlightenment because I want this to be a reminder every week as you come in and, and something as you see. But we've been, we've been looking at the theme going through the book of Philippians uh, of grace of God's grace, of his grace that, that unbinds us from things, that frees us from our captivity. And what this is, is to represent is that, that we are in bondage. We are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to death. We are in bondage. And without Christ coming, without him freeing us, we have no chance to escape from those things. And so some of you are really uh, notice details. Actually, you'll, you'll see the knots up there and the things tied together. And those represent the, the bondage that we have. And, and week by week, what's happening is some of those knots are beginning to become untied. 
as we, we open the scripture and unpack the truths. And so by the time the series is done, there, there, there should be no knots remaining up there. Once again, as a picture of how, how Christ is freeing us from these things. And so I, I just wanted to open your mind. I know a lot of us learn differently, and God uses art. God created art. He created color. He created creativity. And so I, I think it's a, a powerful thing to, to see and to know and to use. And so I wanted you to understand that part of it. And so as we've been going through, like I said, seeing God's grace, that instead of being enemies of God, instead of being objects of his wrath, instead of being tied and bound, we are now his sons, we are now his heirs, we are now his ambassadors. We've now become light for him. And so that God's grace, if you have kids in urge, we teach them that God's grace is giving us what we do not deserve. His mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Much like a person who has, who has broken the law and they come and they stand before the king knowing that they fully deserve the punishment that the king is going to give them. What do they do? They, they fall at his feet and they beg for mercy. Please do not give me what I deserve. Much like my children do sometimes at my feet after they've done things. And I have a chance to, to forgive them, but then there's the grace giving us what we do not deserve. And so we saw God's grace week one where God's grace to join him. Called, allowed to be part of the blessing and progress of the gospel. And as I say in earlier, just as a reminder that the God of the universe, the God of the universe has given us this opportunity. And, it, and it's so interesting in this time of elections right now. Because here's what's happening is that people are getting very excited for political candidates. And what do they do? They stand on corners. They knock on doors. Why? Because they want you to know the message of this person. Saying this person has the answers. In, in their mind, this is good news. Vote for this person. Get this person in his office. And they will make, make life better for you. They will bring what you need. They will make the changes. They will fix things. And these people do. They give their evenings and they, they're on the phones and they give their money to help support these campaigns. We are talking about the God of the universe who truly does have the answers to fix our lives. He has the answers for this entire world. And he wants us, in a sense, to be on his campaign team. We have this opportunity. What grace he has given us to join in. I think of two... Right now, it was really interesting. I saw it on, news, on the news the other day. In the Indian Trail Church neighborhood, there's kind of a, a crime spree that's been going on. It, it's made the news. They've talked, and people have said things, and I know they're rallying the troops. And I couldn't help but thinking, how much more do we know about the true thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy? His name is Satan. He's the prince of darkness, the father of lies. And this is a very true reality, and God says in his word. And, and so once again, this opportunity to let the neighborhood know, to get out the word with the same zeal and passion and enthusiasm, to save our neighbors, to protect them, to be looking out for them. And this is a grace that God gives us to join with him in this. We then saw the grace that God gives us to love. We are free to truly love. 
And that can only come from God. That can only come from His Spirit living in us. Not the wretched people that we are, but once God's Spirit. Because who is love? God is love. And we cannot hate our brothers if God is in us. And so when God comes in, the grace that He has given us is now the grace that we're able to give others. We no longer do things out of pride or out of vain conceit or out of personal gain. Because we all of a sudden realize that those things are immaterial. We see who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that, gets, that, just, that just frees us up to love. It's not about our rights and what we deserve anymore. It's about our ability now to show off Christ and what he's done. And those are times when it's hard to love when people have a, perceived to abuse our rights or take advantage of us. But when we're able to turn that over to Christ, it allows us to freely love really love, when we look at the world and what it is and we realize that those things are immaterial and that nothing lasts forever and only what's done for Christ is what truly lasts, when we are most satisfied in Him, when our joy is not of this world, therefore nothing in this world can take our joy from it, it frees us to love. The grace to love. Last week we saw the grace to suffer. The grace to suffer given the privilege to suffer as he suffered. It's not a promise in Scripture that we claim often. It's not a verse that we run to in hard times. But John 15 is very clear. The world hated me, it will also hate you. If I am in you, expect to be persecuted. And therefore, if we are not persecuted as we're spreading the gospel, we need to ask the question, now we have the grace to suffer. Because this world teaches us that suffering is bad. We try to avoid suffering. We try to flee suffering. Anytime there is pain or discomfort or something that is not how we would want it to be, we do everything within our power to try to change it. We complain to those around us about it. Instead of being freed to rejoice in it, God, thank you that I am worthy to suffer for your name. Thank you that you have considered me worthy to be able to go through these things through you. Why? So that I can show you off to the world the grace to suffer. That brings us, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to actually be starting in the the last part of verse 18, um, going on through through 21. We have three verses we're going to be looking at, three things that we're going to be reflecting on. And, and just as you're, you're turning there, like I said last part, we have to understand again, chapters and verses are just made up. All right? God did not divinely inspire them. The book of Philippians was actually a letter that Paul wrote just like you and I would write a letter, you'd start writing down the page, down the page, flip it over and keep writing. We've added chapters and verses so that, so that when we're sitting in a room together, I can tell you where I'm at and you can find it quickly instead of, you know, third, fourth, fifth paragraph. So a lot of times the, the verses aren't necessarily natural breaks and, and that's what they've done here. Actually, the, the, the thought really begins in verse 18. That's a precursor to verse 19. So I'm going I'm to read. If you have, I encourage you to, to follow along. 
because he just gets done saying, I'm going to start back to the beginning of verse 18. Is what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. He rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed in his imprisonment, in his suffering. And then he goes on, and what else is he going to rejoice in? Yes, and I will rejoice. Why am I going to rejoice now? Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He rejoices in his deliverance. This word deliverance is very interesting because it can really be taken two different ways, and we'll get to there as we get a little bit further in the passage. But the deliverance that he's talking about, really the word as it's interpreted, it can be taken either way, and I think Paul and God and his divine inspiration made it that way. His deliverance, A, could actually be deliverance from his imprisonment or deliverance from this life. Meaning, he would die. He would be killed. And he's rejoicing knowing that it's going to turn out for his deliverance one way or another. He will be freed from this situation. He will either be released physically or his body will be killed. His body will died and his spirit will be released he will no longer be in that situation but what I what I find interesting here is in the middle part of that he rejoices in his deliverance because of two things gives him the ability to rejoice the one is for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ these are the two things that gives him the confidence that gives him the joy that gives him the peace, that gives him the ability to rejoice, is one that he knows that there are prayers being prayed for him. And why does this give him confidence? Because he has an understanding of prayer. He has an understanding that prayer in its very simplest form is what is talking to God. It is coming before the God of the universe that once again spoke everything into being has the power to do everything with, but with a word. And that there are petitions coming before his throne on his behalf in this situation. That brings him encouragement. And if we understand who God is and how much he cares about our petitions, that would also bring us encouragement if we knew that someone was praying on our behalf. These prayers also, he knows that somehow these prayers, like all prayers, release the ability for God to work. He was a man, he, he probably had the entire Old Testament memorized as you look at his credentials and other parts of Scripture. And so he was able to see throughout the Old Testament the times that prayers were answered, dead were raised, sick were healed, pe- millions were blinded, people were delivered time and time again because of the prayers of the people. And so he knows that prayer works. He knows who prayer is going to. And he knows that he is being prayed for. And this causes him to rejoice. And this causes him to have a confidence, a peace, a joy in his situation. The question that we would have to ask ourselves, and in in our difficult situations, what assurance do we have that we are being prayed for? And as we look at the things that we go through in life, whether it be through our job or our family, whether it be in our neighborhood, personal issues with our body, these things, do we personally have the confidence that people are praying for us? 
that there's a God in the universe who's listening to those prayers and is going to act perfectly with perfect love in all times and always doing whatever is in our best interest. Do we believe that there is that all-loving God that is hearing these prayers and these prayers are being offered on our behalf? And unfortunately, I'd say for a lot of us, the answer is no. The society that we live in, the culture that we have created, one, makes us very inward people, very private people. We keep many things to ourselves. We don't share. A lot of us don't even have that many friendships. Each day is a survival. It's getting through to the next day. Unfortunately, even in our own marriages, we don't feel we have a person who, who cares enough that they would commit to prayer. But I ask you, are you that person of prayer for others? Are you one that cares about those around you, fellow co-workers, fellow neighbors, people that you're sitting next to here in church? Are you, do you care about them enough to pray for them one, because of the love that God's given for you, and two, because you know that it works. We're starting small groups up. Many of you are in them. Some of you are still on the fence. And I got to tell you, if you're not in a group of people that loves God and wants to love you, join a small group. This is an opportunity for you to start experiencing these things with people gathering together, caring about you pray for you and listen and weep when you weep and rejoice when you rejoice. So this is half of it. This is the prayers. And then the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul has an innate understanding that greater is in him than he is who is in the world. He knows that his, the Spirit of God is in him and can help him he knows that the promises of God says, you will never be tempted, you will never be put in a situation that you are not able to do what is right. And so Paul, understanding this, you know what, because of the prayers of the people, because the Spirit of Jesus Christ is living in him, he goes, I know I can handle this, this, and I will be delivered. I know that nothing's going to happen, that God has not given me the strength to endure He also knows that the Spirit of Christ lives in him, working in him. And I love that promise that we are sealed, if we are his sons, if we are his heirs, we are sealed until the day of redemption. I've kind of phrased that a spiritual tattoo, but one that at no price can ever be removed. And that is what happens. And Paul understands this, that the Spirit of Christ the help. Once again, this is the God. This is the God that with a word spoke the universes into being. He is there working. Yeah, you know what? It's going to turn out for his deliverance. This God, as he even knew earlier, could make the prison walls fall down and the chains fall off. Or he could also graciously call him home. It's going to work out. So my prayer for you is that you also would understand the help that the Spirit of Jesus has for us. I would pray that He is in you, that you lean on Him, that you learn His Word and you understand His promises 
So as you go through these times, it gives you a confidence and a peace and a strength and a peace that passes understanding. And so yes, he will rejoice. Why? Because he knows that he is being prayed for and that prayers are effective and they're going to someone who loves him more than anyone else and has the power to act. And that with the spirit that is in him, it, he will help him if he is to stay. And he will bring him home if his time on earth is to be done. But also in the next verse, in verse 20, we see, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. eager expectation and hope that he will not at all be ashamed. Not ashamed in God, not ashamed in the prayers that were unanswered, but not ashamed in himself. His eager expectation and hope that he will not be ashamed, but with full courage as always, that what? That God, that Christ will be honored in his body, whether he were to live or to die. And I would hope that that also is your and my goal, it is my desire, that as I look at everything that life brings to me, everything, that I can say, God, may I not be ashamed because I have honored you with my body, I have honored you with my actions. When I look at my work, and the promotion that I didn't get, and the demotion that I did get, and the losing of my job that happened to me, with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbors, God, may I not be ashamed, regardless of how they treat me, of how they act towards me, but I have honored you. They may speak evil of me, but with no, no foundation to their accusations. Because at the end of the day, I acted with love. I acted with patience. I acted with forgiveness. I acted with understanding. The love that I had because of your grace. The joy that I had because of you. And so I was not ashamed. The situations did not become the source of my actions or my joy the situations became an opportunity for me to show off who you are in me. And you are honored in my body, in my words, in my actions, in my thoughts, in my desires. The things around me did not dictate those. Now they said whether by life or by death. Because he continues to say then, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me read that again because I, I think we, we read this backwards sometimes. I think we read this for me to live is gain and to die is Christ. That's not what it says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How many of you do not raise your but truly look at death as gain. And so I, I, I was thinking even as Carlos was, was talking about, about 
going across the border with, with machine guns and going into these countries. When we go, you know what? This is the opportunity for me to live as Christ. And actually, if I get killed and died, that would be better. Second best is actually me coming back alive. That's not generally how we interpret that, is it? But, but that is what Christ said. Paul is saying here, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Think about what we spend on medical things in this country alone. How much do we fear death at all costs? And what price are we willing to pay to try to prolong our life even one day? We do not see death as gain, which is really weird on several different levels. Because one, when we understand all of eternity, and we understand that our life is a dot right here in the middle of it, all right, we're all going to die. It's just a matter of when. And to prolong that dot, all right, is really nothing in light of eternity. I think part of the reason why we, we fear death is because <laughs> we've heard this idea, what's heaven? Ooh, we sing praises to God forever. All right, I know some of you don't even show up to church on time because you don't even like sing praises to God for the first five minutes. And you're like, I got to do that for eternity. You're going to kill me. Come on. All right? In fact, very few are the number of you if we said this service, hour and a half, straight singing. All right? There, there's two or three of you that might go, yay. All right? But the rest are like, really? Yeah, I can get a half hour, 45 minutes top. But no, no. And so we have this idea of eternity just singing. Like, well, okay, if that's what it is. It's God. It's good. I will be with him. But no. Excitement level, not real high. Because we have not seen him who he is. We do not understand the greatness of who God is. To die is gain. To die is to truly be in the presence of the one who made us, who desires a relationship with us, who we were created for. And all through scripture, every time we see anyone who even gets a glimpse of God's glory, they just fall to the ground and it changes their lives. We haven't seen God. We'd seen God. We would be excited. And, and understand the grace to be able to die, to understand. We're going to be singing a song later, and, and it teaches us scripture in a two where it goes, Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? No, this is actually the final release. This is the time where we get to shed these shells that are racked with sin that cause us pain and grief and misery that get old and sore. And we get our new bodies. We get to be how God initially intended us to be, perfect in His presence, where there is no weeping, there is no sorrow, there is no sadness, there is no death forever. To understand this, to begin to see dying as gain, because then we can, as we look at, as I said earlier, this mission that we have, giving our life, not only physically, but potentially in a, in a literal sense, for the gospel. See, what an opportunity. If we see dying as gain, meaning, you know what it means? It means everything on this earth we left behind. And I have to tell you where I struggle with that is, is I, and I'll start crying, but I, I look at my kids 
I don't want to leave them behind. I want to see them grow. I want to see them get married. I want to see grandkids. I value them. And it's good that I value them. God gave them to me, and I have a responsibility with them. But my understanding of who is, they should pale in comparison with who he is. And so, so I, I'm, I'm holding on to things. And the things that we all hold on to, holding on to our house or holding on to our job or holding on to retirement or holding on to a vacation, I don't know what it is that we're holding on to that we see in this life as this is good and I really like it and I can't imagine leaving it, but if I have to go to heaven forever, okay. So be it. And that's why when we see cancer come and invade our lives, we go, this is cutting short my time here. I feel robbed. I feel gypped. I feel like God is being unjust. When in a sense, actually, God's like, you blessed me with cancer. I get to come home early. Thank you. All right. But that's not our perspective. It's like, God, I have this time that I can display your glory to the world as I view this thing that the whole world goes, cancer is horrible. No. God, I can say, God, is greater than cancer. And this is just a thing that's just killing my body that is racked with sin and it's an outward display of that sin in this world. And I can bring God glory as I have a hope and a peace in facing my death and my hope in my life and that I know my children and my family will see me later and I will see them later. And the world begins to look like that makes no sense. No, it doesn't because you don't know Jesus. Let me tell you about him. None of life makes sense apart from to live as Christ, to die as gain. As we look at living as Christ, everything I have, every opportunity that I'm presented with, every situation that I'm in, is an opportunity to show him off. Why were we saved? I said this beginning, we are saved for the opportunity to spread the gospel, the good news. We have the greatest news in the world. And most of it, in my, most of the time, and myself included, I'm sitting on my hands sharing it with no one. Because to live is me, and to die is something that must happen, but I'm not looking forward to it. To live is Christ. And I evaluate everything I have and why he's given it to me as his servant on how I can use it to further his gospel, to advance his kingdom. And Mary, look forward with great anticipation the opportunity to die living for him. And so I honor him in my death also because at my graveside, may the people say, here was a man that wasn't normal. Here was a man that cared about other things than the average person. Here was a man who was loving when no one else was loving. Here was a man who was giving when it didn't make sense. Here was a man who was forgiving those who should not have been forgiven. Here was a man who seemed to care about Jesus more than anything else. Pray that God may be honored in my death. Because people truly are able to say those things. God has given us the grace to die. He has given us the ability to look at death like no one else can. That death, once again, is not the end. It's the beginning. And everything else here is a weight that distracts us, that misleads us. And may we see the things for which they are 
They're merely tools and things that God has given us once again to advance his kingdom, to share with others the good news. May that 